This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to episode four of the Total Saints podcast, a new dedicated Southampton podcast going to the heart of all things Saints. It's by the fans, for the fans. My name's Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stanners from Twitter, and I'm joined again by regular guest of the show, Adam Leach from the Southern Daily Echo. You can follow Adam on Twitter at Adam Leach Sport. Adam, how's your week been? Yeah, busy, Ben, busy. Uh, two games and press conferences, a long trip up to Huddersfield, which is pretty knackering on Saturday and... Yeah, a lot of lot of work basically the last week, but it's been it's been good. It's that time of the year when the when the weather's still nice. The, the trips don't seem quite so bad. Did you bump into many Portsmouth fans on the way up or the way down? I, to be fair, no. Apart from on the way back, we um, we made fairly decent time going back. The traffic was really really very good for us, very kind both ways to Huddersfield. And coming back, we actually came off the motorway and we were behind a Portsmouth coach that was immediately behind the Saints fans coach. So, yeah, I think they were probably dropping off in about the same place. So that, that could have been an interesting evening. Luckily, we weren't going in that direction. Uh, they turned off in a different way to us. So that was uh, that was quite fortunate, I think. That's, that's good to hear they were behind us because they have been for quite a few years now. So that's good. So oh, boom, boom. Yeah, there we go. Get, get the show off to a, a good uh, Pompey dig straight away. We're, we're going to um, look back at the last seven days. Um, we're going to talk about the Wolves game um, very briefly. And if you're lucky, we may well forget about it altogether. We're going to review the Huddersfield game. Um, we're going to talk about Wesley Hoyt, who's obviously come in and joined Saints this week. And uh, what would a Saints-related podcast be at the moment without any discussion of uh, Virgil van Strijk? I mean, Virgil van Dijk, sorry. So there will certainly be a, a bit of a discussion about Virgil and the current situation, which uh, I think we all probably agree is coming into a, a, a bit of a crescendo this week, one way or the other. Right, we're going to start the show with our news, reviews and previews section. Adam, looking at the Wolves game then, we spoke last week about um, the, the sort of second string in inverted commas that might get a game. Um, as it was, he picked a pretty pretty decent team. I think quite a few of us were surprised there was no um, you know, Hoiberg and there was no sort of Shane Long involved and people like that. Did we really think we could get the job done without putting much effort in? Because it seemed, you know, from all accounts and watching the highlights, that, that Wolves thoroughly deserved to win. And even though it was their second string as well, completely outplayed us. Well, I think that's a 
that's a relatively fair summary. I mean, they they were worthy winners of the game, and you couldn't really argue with that. I think we we got the sense uh, as the game game day got nearer that, that actually it was going to be a fairly strong Saints team, um, and and indeed it was a very strong Saints team. Uh, we spoke last week discussing the fact that actually they could have fielded a second team that actually would have still been quite a strong team but when you saw the team sheets and and Wolves were you had left all 11 players the full 11 that started their previous championship game they hadn't even brought them to put on the bench they'd left them at home and and at that stage a lot of the Wolves guys were saying well this is kind of a mixture of their reserve team slash youth team and Saints had a strong team and you thought well this is probably only going to go one way obviously there was um an element of experimentation as well from from uh, Mauricio Pellegrino as he went with the back three to have a look at it a lot of teams are obviously playing a back three in the Premier League this year it's a, it's a formation that is as these things tend to go come in and out of fashion a little bit formations and the back three is coming back in and teams quite often uh, as we know like to match up another side they if they play a different formation so I think it's something that you want to have a little look at and see whether he had the, the players there to play it. Um, obviously, he wasn't playing perhaps his, his absolute strongest team. But yeah, I mean, it, it was it was not good. <laughs> There's no way of, of making him pretty. Um, there was some some pretty poor performances. I mean, uh, I must admit, around the hour mark, we was in the press box, a few of us were talking, and it was just one of those sort of games where you couldn't see Wolves scoring because it commendable amount of effort from them but a total lack of quality in the final third I mean they did have three great chances in the first five minutes which which they failed to take and you just felt the only way Wolves are going to score here is if they uh same score an own goal or there's a, a set piece or something like that and sure enough they got a corner and, and that's what they scored from but I think there was sort of this mentality that the well certainly it's a mindset that I felt and I wonder whether it, it was seeping into Pellegrino and so on as well, that they didn't seem an awful lot of threat. And you kind of thought that with the quality Saints had on the pitch, at some point they would probably create something and score. And and effectively that probably would have ended the tie there. And then I doubt Wolves would have uh, had much fight to come back from that. But of course, once they got the first goal, they, they had it all to play for. And Saints... I mean, Pellegrino, he stuck to that back three for, for a long time, even when it clearly wasn't really... Being uh, doing a particularly good job for them when it looked like they they were gonna it wasn't until they looked like they were really gonna lose the game that he then changed things up. So I've got to say I think it's a it's a weird one. I think the fans obviously are very um, very much wanted another cup run after the memories of Wembley last year and especially this year with no Europa League uh, to be staring down the barrel now of only potentially playing worst case scenario. But you might only play 40 games this season. They've got this huge, great big squad that obviously they've talked uh, glowingly about how they've gone through this process of assembling. And as you pointed out, bear in mind a whole heap of the, what I would call the squad players, the fringe players, didn't even play in the one League Cup game that they've had. They're not going to play in the Premier League. Who knows what will happen with the FA Cup? All of a sudden, you're thinking, well, I don't even know when a lot of these guys are going to get a game. And and it was a shame that they went out and they went out with, with such a such a whimper really in a competition they got to the final in last year and again I just think it's one of those things that and I have mentioned it several times but it, it does put into perspective actually maybe last season wasn't quite as terrible as, as everybody likes to make it out to be mm. and when and when you look at the draw as well I mean hypothetically we would have been at home to Bristol Rovers I mean I'm not saying that that would be a walkover of course but I mean it's a massive chance wasted isn't it 
I, well, I, I think so. I think in this year, even more than last year, they saw Southampton really could do with a cup run because they want something other than the Premier League. But I think uh, the the Premier League is, is certainly seen as the be-all and end-all. I know there's an accusation that, that maybe some foreign managers, when they first come in, don't really kind of get how important the cups are to the fans in England because they, they perhaps are not, you know, given the same significance all the time in other countries and other countries they may have managed in. And it may seem like the Premier League is very, very important. But that said, even though it was an experimental formation, Pellegrino did play a strong team. Um, so you can't really accuse him of, of, of having, you know, completely taken his foot off the gas himself with it. It was just a very, very lacklustre performance. And I'm afraid to say there were a few players in there who were um, who were particularly poor. And and some of the ones who were who I thought actually were the, some of the worst performers were the ones that did have something to prove as well, that the, the aren't regularly in the team. And, and to be honest, they, some of them were the worst. Not good. I, I would, it's really hard to say anything other than it was just a very, very, very bad day at the office for them. From what you've heard in and around the ground and, and the stadium and such like, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg then, just for, for sort of fans that are listening, because I think a lot of us have been quite confused as to why he's not been involved at all. Was he injured, Adam, or is he just out of favour? Well, uh, as far as I know, and I can only give go on what I know, is is that, that he's out of favour. Certainly with us, Pellegrino, in every pre-match press conference, we always ask about team news and who's fit, and you know he's been reporting a fully fit squad, so therefore... Uh, I haven't asked him specifically about Hoiberg yet. Um, I think that's one that, that may may crop up in the future. But obviously, early days in in the season in his reign in Saints and a limited time to speak to him. There's only so many things you can ask about at any one time. But yeah, uh, he he seems completely out of the picture. Obviously, Jordi Classy is um, is obviously totally out of the picture in that position as well. I mean, the arrival of Lamina has has kind of sort of killed off his chances of uh, I think of of getting back in at any point. So. Yeah, but that's this is what I mean. They've got this big squad of players, and the reality is, there's probably you can probably go through a sheet, and when you look at it, without a significant run of injuries or suspensions in a few individual positions, there's probably I could I could probably and you could probably sit down any fan, pick out six, seven, maybe eight players. I don't even know where they're going to play this season in the first team. I, I honestly don't because I can't. If the Saints are playing once a week, once every you know, 10 days or whatever it is, just in the Premier League. And then they've got a few FA Cup games on top of that. Well, you're always, always going to play your strongest team and not an experimental team. And so some of these guys, I don't think they're going to play. But they, they also, they don't want to leave themselves exposed. So they're going to have to keep some players at the club, aren't they? They can't just get rid of everybody. Having gone through a deliberate policy of, of recruiting a, a, a bigger squad, which obviously they've talked so much about recently. Absolutely. Well, I think that's probably enough um, Wolves chat. I think for any Wolves fans listening, absolute credit to, to you. I think totally deserve to win. And from a Saints point of view, something they need to think, think about seriously for next season. The, the, the positive is that the Carabao Cup or whatever it will be called next season, the uh, cup run can't be any worse than it was this season. So one to uh, draw a line under, as a famous Saints manager would have said, and uh, move on, I think.
Right, moving on to the Huddersfield game then, Adam. Tough first half, I think. Um, backs against the wall stuff a little bit. Arguably, across the 90 minutes, we, we possibly had the, the best chances. But I think before the game, it's probably a point I would have taken. They're obviously full of, um, you know, as we spoke about last week, new boy um, adrenaline and confidence. They've won, won both games. But uh, over the 90 minutes, nil-nil, probably one of the better nil-nils you've seen. But a fair result or not? Yeah, I thought it was fair. Huddersfield, as you said, quite rightly, were the were clearly the better team in the first half. I think Saints knew that they were going to be walking into um, walking into the den somewhat. I mean, the atmosphere there was absolutely banging. It was really, really electric atmosphere. Fantastic. Really, really uh, very enjoyable to watch Huddersfield as well play with such complete enthusiasm and abandon. There's no hint of any Premier League cynicism or, or you know, anything like that. It's, it's all very fresh and new to them. They play a very interesting style very eye-catching style is very high intensity lots and lots of pressing they really hunt down in packs to close down the ball uh, and then they've got a little bit of quality as well and so yeah i mean saints they probably expected that, that they would be on the back foot i mean they had a great early chance the redmond chance which which he put wide was was a fantastic chance and you don't know what, how exactly how Huddersfield would have reacted to that situation had they gone behind. Then uh, I think at half time, uh, having got in at nil nil, Pellegrino changed things around tactically. He made a, a good move, in my opinion. He dropped Romeo very deep on his own uh, in front of the back four to try and help out handling some of the long balls uh, that were that were were coming in towards Mounier. And then Davis and Lamina sort of played as a two in front of him. Uh, and that closed down. I mean, Huddersfield were, were dominating the ball and they've obviously got quality and they paid for quality as well in the centre of midfield. And they, they cut out, Saints cut out that supply line and then they, they built themselves into the game. And really, they were, uh, in the second half, it was they who were the better team, though again, creating chances proved rather problematic. And at the end, they so nearly won it. The ball just got hacked off the line from, from Ryan Bertrand's header. So... Yeah, I, I quite—I must admit, I fairly enjoyed the game. I thought it was a good contest for a goalless draw, and I thought a draw was a fair result as well. And also, I think it's a—it's not a bad result. I think I, I said last week I, I, I predicted—I believe I predicted one all, and I said I think that would be a good point at, at this juncture. Yeah, I know people go well. Six months down the line, is drawing at Huddersfield going to look like a good point? None of us have a crystal ball, so we can't say whether it's going to look a good point or not. But actually, all you can do is rate it on what's happening right now. And actually, right now, yeah, it is a decent point. Huddersfield are flying. They're in this honeymoon phase. They've got all, all this enthusiasm. They've got all this uh, noisy support behind them. It was going to be a difficult game for any team who went there. And I always think no point away from home in the Premier League is a bad point. I'm with you on that, Adam. I, I think absolutely uh, good to get another clean sheet. I think it could have gone either way. As you say, we could have won it, we could have lost it. I still don't think it's going to be an easy place for teams to go this season up there because, as you say, the fans clearly get behind them. They've got that that sort of um, you know win-win mentality. The the players to, to sort of get out there and carry on their momentum from last season. So I think it's you know it's another point we're still unbeaten. Um, it, as I say, something that could have gone either way. In, in terms of Saints, though, that's that's four games played now. 
we've not scored in three of them. It's, it's a bit of a sort of carry on from the Claude Puel situation, really, in, in terms of the lack of goals. And we are creating chances. But even then, you know, you're talking one or two clear cut rather than four, five, six, seven that we maybe used to get under the lights of Komen and such. So how, how are we going to put the goal scoring right? Because it's really been a bit of an Achilles heel now for the last uh, sort of 12 months, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. But ultimately, a lot of people obviously blamed Claude for the for the style of football. And there, but there was also a school of thought that maybe the Saints just don't have the players, and obviously have that they didn't when they lost Mane and Pella, for example. Were those players adequately replaced or not? Then uh, you can everybody's free to their own opinion on that. I've heard fairly convincing arguments both ways, but it's it is ultimately the same players that Pellegrino largely has at this point in time that Claude Puel has, and if two managers are struggling to get goals out of them. Does that does that just suggest, as we've spoken about before, that maybe just the balance of the squad is not quite right? And, and I don't, I wouldn't for one second say that the Saints have poor players because they've got a lot of players. <laughs> Trust me, an awful lot of Premier League clubs would want Saints' Saints' players, the two players that are playing in their first eleven, and even some of the players that are on the bench would walk straight into probably almost a majority of first teams of uh, other Premier League sides. So don't make the mistake of thinking that Saints don't have good players. But nonetheless, they obviously are struggling to score goals. And, and what's the answer if you've got two successive managers that you've appointed who are both struggling to get the goals? Is the common theme not that, that Saints have appointed two really bad managers, but that actually maybe they need to address the balance of the squad. Maybe they need another player. I mean, we'll see if they obviously in due course this week as to whether they, they go out and get somebody else or whether they feel that they need it or not it will become apparent once the window's closed on Thursday and we see see what they've done in the market but how do you address it with what they've got well it's going to be difficult I mean how much can you change things around really I mean the the problem they've got is that, that it's kind of more of a tinkering of personnel really there's there's no they haven't got a, a what you'd call like a magic player have they like one guy who's just so so good and, and almost one of these wise even at saints type of guys so it's it's got to be a team effort hasn't it it's got to be a team effort from them Gabbiadini I mean obviously he's not a 30-35 a season goal scorer but he is someone that will get you 15-20 goals I've noticed quite a few fans at the start of the season sort of say you know spend spend 10 minutes watching Gabbiadini and watch his movement and the ball never gets to him and all those sorts of things is it, the, the personnel I think we agree is there maybe lacking a bit of pace like Amane and, and such like but in terms of just trying to get opportunities to someone like a Gabbiadini I mean the goal against West Ham's the first goal I mean that was a, a half chance great run great ball get the ball to him he will stick the ball in the net I mean is the issue as, as simple as try, you know even Austin as well I mean he still creates a movement and such like and, and he did against Wolves I mean is, is it simply a case of trying to get the ball to them in opportunities where they can score or is it is it more problematic than that? I, I think it's somewhat more problematic than that, probably. And when I hear Pellegrino speak, I'm interested to hear him talk a lot about the cohesion of the team as an attacking unit, or perhaps more accurately, lack of cohesion of the team as an attacking unit. And I think that's very much uh, what he's working on. When you see some other very good attacking teams play, the fluidity of the movement between the attacking players, especially if you're playing like four-two-three-one, or, or you know you've got three up front with a maybe a one through the middle and two off of him, then actually you know, the really good teams they have this propensity for players to sort of interchange positions. You've got a lot of movement, 
at Saints, how much movement is there? I mean, how many times do you see a midfielder, for example, or, or I, I count in that the attacking three off of Gabbiadini, getting beyond Gabbiadini, getting beyond the last man, getting into the box? You don't see it very much, do you? Let's be honest. Uh, Gabbiadini is really the only one that provides any ability to get in behind. So you, you've got two options there. You've either got to get him in behind and in on goal, or if he's going to get in behind... Uh, on the chasing down balls and the flanks, then you've got to get somebody else in the box if he's going to put the ball in the box because he can't be in two places at once. You want the fullbacks to provide some attacking width, and Saints have got two fullbacks. I like to see them encouraged to be even more attacking because I think that they both have an awful lot of attacking quality. But yeah, I mean it's a big problem. So if you take out Gabbiadini, then you put in Austin. Then then you've got a guy who you're playing a different style then because then you've got a penalty box striker, really. You, Charlie Austin isn't going to run in behind. And that was part of the problem against Wolves is that Wolves, I think, realised that, that they weren't in danger of, of Saints getting in behind. So they pushed up at half-time. They, they pressed up the pitch a lot, a lot higher. And they left a lot of space in behind. And obviously that is not really Charlie Austin's game. You could see him getting increasingly frustrated. And it took a while for... In fact, it took Saints to be chasing the game for Pellegrino to then make the change that kind of needed to happen to get long on, to get somebody who can get in behind. But by that point, Saints were chasing and it proved to be too late. There's clearly an awful lot to work on there. Just to finish off on Huddersfield, positives from the game. Um, Lamina certainly seemed to have a, a, an excellent match. I, I think lots of fans are very positive about his performance. And even Fraser Forster, I mean, I, I know he made the one error where he came out and tried to catch it one-handed. And bearing in mind, he often struggles to catch it with two hands. It probably wasn't the wisest idea, but he did make a good save and made a, a few other other good saves. Um, I know it's early days in the season, Adam, and I know you're you're always quite sort of conscious not to to mention names and such like. From a from a fan's point of view, body language is is something that lots of us spend a lot of time analysing. Players are unhappy, happy, etc., etc. Dusan Tadic, Ryan Bertrand, two two players that I think fans are starting to become a little frustrated with in terms of their effort, their desire. Tadic obviously played against Wolves during the week, didn't didn't offer a lot. Both of them yesterday, I, I think even you mentioned there the Bertrand ch- chance at the end that he went in a bit half-hearted. You know, if he'd gone in fully committal, that could well have gone in. Should we be concerned? I mean, they're, they're both players that have been linked with a move or more than one move away over the last sort of 12 months. Should, should we be con- concerned about them sort of longer term and really their their commitment to playing for Saints? Or is it is it just maybe early season and they're, they're just a little bit rusty from a, a summer break? The, the thing is, it's very difficult. I think it's very easy to get sucked into trying to analyze these guys from a distance so ultimately they're they're hu- you've got 11 human beings out there playing a game of football everybody goes to work every day and you might try your best but you have some days that are better than others don't you the thing is there might be guys that want moves away from saints and there might be guys we don't even know that one that are trying to get out of the club there might be people at another club that are trying to get out of there to go to saints oh this is just the way football is and I think that um, on a more wider point, and, and not talking specifically about Tadic and Bertrand, this is why I think that it will be very, very good if the transfer window closes before the start of the season, because we won't have this second guessing of, you know, oh, is it just because he wants to move away? Oh, does he not go into that tackle wholeheartedly because he didn't want to get injured because he doesn't want to mess up his big move? And I think Saints uh, have got a fairly committed bunch of players. Personally, I think they've got some good professionals there as well, and... I, I don't worry too much about that. I mean, it's Pellegrino's job to get them motivated as well as their own personal and professional pride. And I'd like to think that they, they'd all do it. I mean, if you go deeper on 
say, Ryan Bertrand, the guy is in line, if he has a good season, to become England's number one left-back in the year of a major tournament. What more motivation could you really want if you were if you were him? He's not... You know, we're complaining about Van Dijk doing what he's doing, and then whether these guys have half an arm going away or not, or moving away or not, I don't know. I'm not inside their heads. But if they did, they're trying to go about it in the right way, and that they're trying to keep on playing, and they're trying to keep on doing well. And so it's hard to say that that's not good enough. You have good days and you have bad days. I, I must admit, yesterday, after Huddersfield, I was I was a little bit taken aback by how despondent some of the players were after the game with, with the overall performance that they put in. And also how despondent some of the supporters were with with what had happened. I thought that there were actually quite a few positives to to take out of the game, as well as a few frustrations and things to work on. I think at Saints it's difficult at the moment. I just get the sense the whole the whole thing the whole thing. And I'm talking the collective here. And I've written about this a little bit. I plan to write some more about it, but I wrote a little bit about it in. Uh, the stuff that's in the verdict, which is on our website, on uh, Daily Echo's website on a Monday and in the paper on a Monday. Going to Huddersfield, it was very interesting because he had a club who feel like they're riding the crest of a wave, basically. They had a fantastic year last year. They've got an exciting manager. They've got exciting players. They're in an exciting new league. They're, they're a completely galvanised unit. Everybody's together from the fans to the players to the staff at the club. Everybody... It, it, the media, they're all in one. It's almost like they're in a siege mentality and it's a sort of us against the world and having a great time and it's all very enthusiastic. Now, it's very hard to sustain that for any significant period of time. And Saints sustained it for a long time because Saints had it when they went out of League One, had it when they went through the Championship. Then you had it in terms of backs to the wall, staying in the Premier League. Then they had a very exciting year under Pochettino. Two great years under Koeman, qualifying for Europe. You know, you're sort of into six, seven seasons of this total wave of enthusiasm, of riding the crest of a wave. And everything that that brings with it, this great enthusiasm on the pitch from the players, this great support from from the fans and, uh, and everybody being happy and positive and, uh, you know, trying to really get behind them, even when things aren't going 100% as you want. And Saints have had that for a long time. But it just feels to me, when you go to Huddersfield and you could actually see it and you could sense it all, that maybe that's what's missing at Saints. That's what has become missing. Now, you might turn around and, and you know, I don't want to go on too much about this because I'm going to like I'm going to give it a bit more thought and actually write some more about it. But I wonder if this kind of feeling of, of the reality check of have Saints hit a bit of a glass ceiling, is there kind of, have they hit kind of, the highest point that they can get to really without you know some significant investment of cash into the playing squad and then has that reality lost a momentum that that was that was rolling for a number of years and because of that you know is it harder for players to be as enthusiastic when you're like come on this is the chase for eight and for fans as well great we're gonna try and finish like eighth or ninth it's, it doesn't sound exciting does it? it doesn't feel exciting compared to some of the things that have happened year after year after year in the immediate past when we start talking and analyzing individual players and things like that i think that kind of misses a wider point when you sensed it when you felt it at huddersfield it just felt like maybe that's what's missing at saints i mean maybe i'm barking up the wrong tree you sit in the sands with the fans ben what do you think that's probably the, the biggest biggest frustration for fans is that there doesn't apparently seem to be one quick fix that's going to solve everything um, but that's part of the challenge of being a football club that's part of the challenge of being a, a player or a manager is that 
it's it's almost like a golf swing. There's always something you can work on. It's never going to be perfect. And if you want to keep pushing forward, then sometimes you have to take a step back to take two steps forward. I I think for me, the key point really is that we are three games into the season. We are still unbeaten. As you've mentioned several times, Maurizio Pellegrino is still assessing his squad, his, his playing staff, his tactics, who, who does what well, who does what badly, those sort of things. So for me, it's early days. I think Huddersfield, yes, take a point, move on. There's plenty to work on. And I think we'll, we'll just have to see across the course of the season and the next few years, possibly, where we, where we get to and the evolution that happens. Moving on with the news from this week then, Adam. Wesley Hoyt was uh, confirmed as uh, a new signing on uh, Tuesday. Um, obviously a good signing coming from, from Lazio, as predicted by yourself in last week's podcast. So that was uh, well well done on that. Surely he's Virgil van Dijk's replacement, yeah? <laughs> nice one. I mean, uh, I think the club have done the right thing in that they, they need to be prepared for all eventualities. They were very heavily criticised for not being prepared enough when Jose Font obviously went in the January and they, they obviously said they would have a replacement and then couldn't get a replacement because they were sort of being a lot of options went down the Swanee when they had a bit of money suddenly a lot of prices went up for a lot of players that they had uh, been looking for and they weren't going to quite wisely they weren't going to ludicrously overpay for somebody so Wesley Hoyt yep he obviously means that they won't fall into that trap if, the, if they did end up losing Virgil then they've got a left-sided centre-back in now and they've got him at a competitive price because if they'd have lost Virgil later this week for, let's say, for argument's sake, £70 million, then you pretty much can see like Barcelona chasing players around when everybody knows you've got £200 quid. It's funny how quickly the valuations of the players you want seem to skyrocket. So Saints have bought before they, they could potentially fall into that trap. Now, the other... Uh, side of that is if they do manage to keep hold of Van Dyke, if that if that um, goes the way that they want it to this week, then what is his reaction going to be? We don't know. We assume that he'll get his head down and, and be welcomed back into the fold and play, hopefully get fit, first of all, and then start playing again at some point later in the year. But we don't know that's going to happen. Saints don't know if that's definitely how he'll react. So they need to be uh, ready for that eventuality. And obviously, if either of those two things went wrong, i.e. Virgil ended up going or Virgil ended up staying and then not being involved for whatever reason, if, if problems continued, then they clearly needed another centre-half. So they've been proactive and they've gone and got one in. The The quality of this guy, I mean, I can't I can't say I've not really seen him play. It's a bit like when you sign Lamina now. For, if you're signing a young player for £15 million-ish in the Premier League now, you're not buying guaranteed quality anymore. 15 million is not enough to buy guaranteed quality. That is still taking a, a small gamble of a, of a transfer fee. So hopefully he turns out to be what they need. And then obviously it's going to be very interesting, uh, Virgil situation aside, to see who ends up playing going forward. Because especially whether Virgil comes back or not, they've got quite a lot of strength and depth at centre-half. But I think, I think they've, been, they've been sensible. They've been proactive to cover themselves no matter what happens with Virgil. And if the best case scenario happens and, and in a couple of weeks Virgil's back and sort of knocking on the first team door again, well, you'd rather have the options than not. And if they need to lose one, well, they can they can assess that in January, can't they? Before we go on to talk about Virgil in a bit more depth then, Adam, Maya Yoshida signed a new three-year contract um, this week. As, as a fan, for me, he's been a, a top-class pro in terms of his attitude towards Saints over the last four or five years. 
someone who's been on the sort of fringes of playing fairly regularly, never moaned, never never sort of been someone that you've seen in the press criticising the club, has always just got on, knuckled down, given 100% whenever he's been called on. Someone that I think I've, as the longer he's been at Saints, I've become more, um, you know, had more admiration for him. It's sort of summing up my Yoshida up in, in one answer. I mean, you know, how, how well do you think he's done sort of with, with Saints and how, how much has he deserved a new contract? Well, I think I think you actually have summed it up pretty well yourself, to be honest. But I mean, it's, they, he's he's done really well. I mean, he's gone from a player who was very, you know, had had become a, a, a very much a bit part player and an understudy, and somebody who, let's be frank, wasn't exactly fans' favourite. I mean, I know when we used to we used to suggest he was going to be playing, you would just get absolute pelters about, oh, not Yoshida, oh, no, oh, you make a terrible error, oh, there's, you know, that's one goal conceded, and so on and so forth. And part of that, I always felt a little sorry for him, because yes, he did make some, some errors, isn't, you know, no getting away from it, but part of that was clearly because he wasn't playing very often. It's very hard to be the guy who is sat there not playing for weeks upon weeks upon weeks, then all of a sudden... Oh, by the way, you're playing against Liverpool tomorrow. Uh, oh, oh, great. Okay, so so who am I marking? Oh, well, that's 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 marvelous. Okay, I will um I'll go and do my best. But then, what do you expect if if the guy's not playing? It's inevitable he's gonna make some errors. And now he's actually finally had this run of games. We've we've seen a much much more consistent player and and one that very much would be good to keep at the club. I think the three year contract is fully deserved. With the new signings, I remain unconvinced as to whether he's going to be playing as much as he has been. Um, if we if we wind forward during that three-year contract and look at it, and whether he might go back to kind of that sort of more of a bit part player that he was. But nonetheless, he's proven to be very solid, extremely reliable. He's a really solid character and he's a really nice guy. Um I think he's good for the club as well. So win-win for me. Yeah, I totally agree, Adam. I think with, with regards to Meyer, he's a player that's really come on um, leaps and bounds. And I think the more he plays for Saints, the, the better he gets. So um, definitely well-deserved. <laughs> Finishing the news section on um, Virgil van Dijk then. Obviously, we've, well, we've got four, four and a bit days to go now until the um, transfer window shuts it's uh, it's been three months four months five months of uh, ongoing speculation every single day probably as i said earlier building to a bit of a crescendo this week one way or another uh, the, the pressure is obviously building in terms of saints and, and this media expectancy that uh, we will just sell him pellegrino obviously said after the game yesterday that his quote was i think on the first of september virgil will be here from the point of view of, of everything that Ralph and Les have said so far, Adam, and the fact that um, they were adamant that uh, he wouldn't be going anywhere, or, or at least he wasn't for sale, I should add, Pellegrino saying that he thinks he'll be here on the, the 1st of September, is, is that just because Pellegrino is not wanting to get involved in it, or is that more because there's some doubt now as to whether he will be here on the 1st of September? I, I think, actually, having sat in the room and heard, the, heard him say it, he said it with more certainty than it sounds like if you read it on paper it was it was very much a very certain answer and and very much with the the tone of the of him trying to tell the person who'd asked him that Virgil's going to be there I mean he can't say 100% the same as as Ralph obviously recently didn't say 100% he's going to be here we all know 
the reality of, of life is that if is that Southampton are a business and if somebody comes in with bonkers money, then he ends up going the same as pretty much at any club in the world. If somebody offers bonkers money for any player at any club in the world, then they probably end up going. Obviously, this situation is complicated by the fact that, that Virgil has made it very, very abundantly clear that he wants to leave. That obviously makes it a more difficult situation to handle for Saints. But they are very, both sides, I think, are quite entrenched at this at this point. Virgil obviously still wants to go and has a few days to hope that the, that offer comes in for him. And Saints have a few days to hold on, as it were. If an absolutely astronomical offer comes in, then it, it would make sense still to sell him for me. I, I would say that. I, I love this, let him rot in the stands. Oh, but, I mean, whilst that would be applauded by many fans, really is that is that a positive thing for Southampton Football Club is having having gone through months and months of this this rubbish of this dominating almost everything that's happening at the football club everything that's been spoken about the football club is having another load of months of Virgil van Dijk this Virgil van Dijk that is that really going to be at all helpful or healthy Um, not to mention the fact that you're paying him quite a lot of money for not playing and risking his value dropping even though i don't think it probably would but you are you are taking that risk because if you suddenly didn't quote let him rot in the stands and then you're going to sell him in january well he hasn't played for a year at that point and i think most of the more major clubs actually would say well we're not going to pay a premium that they might pay now for this guy in january when he hasn't played for a year because how can we be certain exactly what we're getting now after a year of inactivity so there's an awful lot for saints to weigh up i think but I come back to the point that I've made. I mean, I've made it so many times. I must have said this so many times in the last three or four months that it's a. I just, I, just, I can't wait for this to be over. I'm so sick of talking about it. I'm sure most Saints fans are sick of of hearing about it, even though it's unavoidable because it is such a major thing that's happening. But it still relies on somebody making a massive offer for him. That still has to happen, and that still hasn't happened. So we can have all the talking about what Saints, would they accept an offer, wouldn't they accept an offer, how much would they take? Would it take to get Virgil out? Oh, Virgil wants to go, he's desperate to leave, You know, he's handing his transfer request, he's pushing for a move. All of this is all lovely, but it's all theory, because nobody's put any money on the table. So we're talking about something where nothing, in, in essence, really, other than the, the meat of the transfer request and him wanting to leave, nothing has happened yet. Now, we obviously may be expecting that something will happen in the closing days of the window, but we still need to get to that point. Somebody still is going to have to pay a huge amount of money for Virgil van Dijk to leave Saints. Because if if nobody's going to offer, I don't know, I'm picking a number out of the air here, but if nobody's going to be prepared to break 60 million at least in terms of an offer, though probably considerably more, it's a pretty easy decision, isn't it? Because there's no decision to make. So we're still in a situation where that has to happen. And as as we speak now, it hasn't happened. Will it happen? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you. Will anybody pay this extra premium? I don't know. Will Saints accept any less? I don't think so. I don't think they will. I don't think they're suddenly going to go, oh, no, oh, oh, last minute. Oh, my goodness me. Oh, well, we can't just... Keep him now, can we? Oh, we're going to have to take 45 million or 50 million. They're they're entrenched in their position, and only an astronomical offer is going to change that. And will that happen or won't it? I mean, who knows? 
all I can say is in three or four months that we've been, everybody's been focused on this, it hasn't happened yet. Maybe it will. Maybe somebody's going to get desperate, but it still, it still has to happen. And until it does, well, there's not, there's not even a decision to make or a debate to be had. The flip side of that. So as you say, we've obviously come this far now, three, four months. Um, I think the Liverpool Echo have obviously not gone quiet on, on it throughout that time at all. I think they've shut down all their other sort of areas of their website and they're just selling advertising space on the Virgil van Dijk updates now. It's been that, that sort of prolific. Um, even if someone comes in with 70, 80 million, say, I mean, it's, it's going to make Saints look really, really weak now if they sell him in the last three, four days. So as you say, from the point of view of being entrenched, even if someone does make a, a big money offer now, surely Les, Ralph, whoever have got to think about the sort of message that that is going to send to Saints fans. Well, they need to do what's best for the long-term future of the club. That's, that's, they are, that is beholden upon them and their jobs to, to make those decisions. And I, I just don't, I personally don't buy the fact that if they make this stand with Virgil and they keep him here, that it's going to discourage others from doing the same. Because let's be honest, not many other people do go this far, do they? It's not as if this is a regular occurrence. Yes, they've sold quite a few players to high-profile clubs, but as Saints themselves have admitted, it has been situations that largely have suited them. You know, Ralph has, put, has said that he's put that on record as, as saying they, that they had a policy. They wanted, they were prepared to sell people at premium prices to other clubs in order to buy enough players to strengthen their squad. They're not in that position anymore. Okay, they're not, but but you know they they can't. You can't cut off your nose to spite your face. I don't think. I, I and I, I I see the argument. I get it, and I hear it all the time, especially from fans. But I just think that the board are going to have to be pragmatic about this and if the offer tops 70 million if, it, if we're suddenly talking 80 million i mean that's that's crazy i mean the guy's a very very good player but that's absolutely crazy um he hasn't even played for six months so i, I don't know i i think it's i think at that point you've got to seriously consider it i, I really do and and does it make a lot of difference to the standing of the club i personally i i I actually don't think it does, actually. And I, I think that uh, I wouldn't personally criticise them if an offer of that magnitude came in and they did feel that they, they wanted to accept it. I, I don't. I personally don't think that, that that would be the wrong thing if that's their decision. I'd also back them if they turned around and said, actually, you know what, we are going to keep him on this point of principle, fine. Uh, but uh, I, don't, I don't think either way they should be opened up to uh, desperate criticism because I actually think they've handled this this one pretty well. But I mean, I'm taking it that, that you're more on the side of the fence that they shouldn't sell at any price then. I can't see him playing in a, a Southampton shirt again. Whether I want to actually see him in a Southampton shirt again, I've not really sat down and thought about because it's this hasn't gone away. I, I, I think the issue for me, Adam, is that it's it's this whole selling him to Liverpool thing. The club that we have vehemently spoken about all summer, we've we've complained about them, we've, we've told them, you know, he is not for sale. We've... we've um, actively gone about telling everyone that we're not a selling club etc etc and but you know by all sort of measures I think the one club that we are expecting to make an offer this week of any substance you know I can't say what figure they're going to offer is Liverpool they may well have already done it you know I think they were never going to start leaking stuff in the public public domain again as they were a few months ago I think 
they could have been negotiating with Saints the last couple of weeks, but it was all going to remain very private. I think for me, I'm happy with us selling him for 60, 70, 80 million pounds and getting him out of the club. The issue I have is that if he goes to Liverpool, it undoes all of our hard work in, in batting away this fact that we weren't going to deal with them, we weren't going to be undermined, we weren't going to sort of be made to, to bend over backwards, so to speak. And then we suddenly do it at the last moment and we prove that we're a selling club and everything that they've done, the bad guys, you, you know, Liverpool, Fasserman, etc., etc., have all in inverted commas won, we're going to be left with egg on our face. So I think that's the, 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 big, the bigger issue for me is it's not about keeping Van Dyke, it's about the principle of it all and, and how that's going to leave us in the longer term. So, I mean, your objection is selling to Liverpool rather yes. than selling per se. Correct. Yeah, so you see, I think that's a, I think that's a slightly different thing. But what if, what if Liverpool, let's, let's go on a wild theory here, and let's say that Liverpool having gone through everything they've gone through with that statement earlier in the year, turn around to Saints and say, look, you know what? I appreciate that things haven't gone well. I appreciate that we've apologised and, and that you know we were in the wrong there. So I'll tell you what, you think he's worth £70 million. That's a high valuation. I think most clubs will be put off by £70 million anyway. What about if Liverpool turn around, especially if they sold Coutinho, and turn around and go, Tell you what, as compensation for, for what happened and to smooth the way, how about we chuck another 10 million or another 15 million on? We make it 80 million or we make it 85 million. And they're, they're effectively paying compensation to Saints. Do you, do you still think that if we get up to those kind of numbers, that that's, that's still. But the, but the uh, thing is, but the thing is, we're not going to spend it, are we? I mean, we're, we're talking here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, making that offer, getting it all through. The, the 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 two points I'd make is one that money is going to disappear. We've already signed his replacement in Verticomas, my opinion. So we're not going to suddenly go out and splash 70, 80 million on anyone, let alone you know two or three players. And and it goes back to the point you made earlier. Suddenly we rock up Tuesday Tuesday evening. We got 70 million pounds or 85 million pounds in our kitty. Any player that we want to try and go out and get on deadline day is suddenly going to have the same 10, 20, 30 million on top of him because people know we got money. So for me. The bigger issue is I just see it as a lose-lose situation because we've come this far. I guess the proof of the pudding will be in the eating. But, yeah, I, I just think that they, they need to remain pragmatic. Now, it's a different the, – the, obviously, the answer I was giving you earlier in the, in the conversation we were having was on a very generic if they get 60, 70 million. Now, obviously, now we're talking more specifically on Liverpool, which I, obviously I, I love them into in terms of everybody. But that's – I do – I can understand I – you obviously – feel very passionately about it and I suppose a lot of Saints fans do because they have taken a lot of Saints players but um, even though you know you can't condone what happened earlier this year they've obviously paid the fees that Saints have asked for all those players in the past and some and you know some pretty handsome some pretty handsome fees as well as Saints Saints have been happy to accept those fees so you know it's not until this summer that you think well okay this is this is really uh, a slightly poor form but I, I just think with with Van Dyke, I just think the club I agree the club needs to be strong but I think they have been very very strong they have been very steady I still get the sense behind the scenes that they are for all this talk and as I keep saying it doesn't matter it doesn't matter because there's not been an offer it's only if there is a significant offer that it matters but I, I get the impression that Saints just don't believe that that level of offer is going to come in. 
because the level of offer that they're asking for, or the, their asking price for Van Dijk, is quite a lot more than I think most clubs think he's worth. I mean, we obviously we think he's great, but and and, and I've no doubt that he's a top level defender. But he's another one of these situations, I think, where it's amazing how much better you get when you don't play for a while. Because his valuation is just going up and up and up the less he plays. It's um, it's remarkable. I, I understand your point of view, and I understand the point of view of the fans, and I get why they would be upset if they sold to Liverpool. I still don't think that that's a likely scenario, personally. I still don't believe that Liverpool are going to come up with the money to get it done. Um I still believe that if he goes, it's more likely to be to one of the other suitors. Um, I still think that's more likely to be true. And I guess now you, you, we talk about it and you analyse it all in. I mean, do you think that's... Is that the best case scenario? Is the best case scenario to keep him or is the best case scenario to sell him but to sell him to not Liverpool for a yeah. good price. It's, it's the latter one, absolutely. So and I, I was just going to add there as well, obviously, now that you've tempted fate, any any complaints should be made towards the uh, the Daily Echo and Not Total Saints podcast there, if that does happen. But uh, no, I mean, let, let, let's see what happens. I think, as we've said all along, the, the other thing I was going to just add, add there as well, Adam, so um, you mentioned that they, they'd paid a, a good premium for all of our players. Totally agree. But I just wanted to double check. They, they definitely don't still owe us anything for Sadio Mane, right? Because I, I think, think we probably so. I think we probably undercharged them looking at the way he's playing this I, season. No, well, I mean that was that was always one that seemed like a pretty good deal for them. The same as it seemed like a pretty remarkable deal for Saints when they when they bought him and he turned up and you thought, wow, buying pace like that costs a lot of money normally. So they they pulled out a gem there. We've said it before, victim of your own success. That's a phrase that's often thrown at Saints, and it goes perhaps ties into my little uh, mini rant earlier. Um, as well, actually, that's part of the problem, isn't it, for Saints? Is that you want them to do really well, the fans want them to do really well. But if players do really well, if they, if the club do really well, it's like, well, what's next? And that, and and other player clubs want your players. So the alternative is that you have players that nobody wants, which means that you don't do very well, and that means that you've always got room to grow because you're not doing very well. So it's, a, you know, it's it's a it is a real catch-22, and, and obviously people are very passionate about it. But I, I think Saints, on the whole, I, I think that they do a pretty good job, and I think they've done a good job this summer with Van Dyke. And like I said, my, my personally, for me, I, I would put, I would back them whatever because I think they they played this well this summer, and I don't I don't really know what else anybody could reasonably have asked for them to do. And as long as that they keep keep that going and they keep making a sensible decisions in the last few days of the window which I think they will then then fair play to them and like I said at this point in time nobody's got a crystal ball but my sense from the people at the club is that they're expecting him to be here on September the 1st I think as Pellegrino said not I know but I think as well he will be here on September the 1st perfect two, two things just to add uh, to, to, to finish on then Adam so um, we, we ran a poll on the um, Total Saints podcast and Facebook sites today just to uh, ask fans, um, with just over four days to go until the transfer window shuts, as a Saints fan, what is your current view on Virgil van Dijk? So we had keep him, we had sell him, and I purposely didn't put in there to Liverpool or someone else, I just put sell him full stop or don't care because you've always got to give people the option that they don't really care about it. So um, uh, the answers that we got overall were 47% of people said that we should keep him at the club. 
Um, 29% said that we should sell him and um, the good old 24% said they did, didn't really care and the sooner it's over the better really so I, I think um, you know like uh, it's almost like being in the dentist uh, waiting room isn't it you know that in four days all of this will be over the pain the relief whatever will be there and you can just get on with your life and not have to worry about going to the dentist for another six months oh it's going to be marvellous I can't wait just from a journalistic point of view to be honest it's just got to the point it's just tedious <laughs> I, I mean you know, I'm only speaking personally here because obviously it's, um, it's uh, we, we we talk between us, don't we? And I think that um, yeah, it's just it's just one of these stories that is just was always destined to probably become a saga. But why why is this still going on now? I mean, the sooner that they come to the conclusion they need to tr- uh, shut the transfer window before the start of the season, the better. And I, I can see why Saints, having suffered so much uh, in this in this period are, are leading the way for um, leading the way for this change. They are very much at the forefront of this movement. And from everything that I think that uh, I've heard from uh, other clubs, other journalists coming other clubs, I very much think that this is going to be thankfully the last year that this is going to happen. And next year, this will, this will, uh, all this will be over before the season begins. Well, I hope you have enjoyed the um, fourth episode of Total Saints podcast. Some good chat and uh, friendly rivalry there between me and Adam. I, I think um, as a fan, certainly passionate about the whole Van Dyke situation. And, uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, Adam's been called up for international duty now, so um, we won't be running a, a podcast next week, the uh, the 3rd of September. Um, everyone can have a, a rest from listening to us, but certainly we'll be back the day after the Watford game when, whilst Adam won't be around, I'm uh, looking forward to having another guest presenter on the show. Adam, before you go, Watford game. For me, it's a must-win now, bearing in mind we need to tr- probably build some momentum after the break. What, what's your prediction for that one? I, I think I tend to agree that they need to really win that game. Um, and so I'm going to be upbeat and positive. I think I've been quite upbeat and positive today in amongst... Uh, I agree. And this weekend in I amongst agree. what quite a lot of... I, I felt negativity, some of which hasn't been entirely justified. So I am going to stay upbeat. And positive, and I am going to say there's going to be some Saints goals and a 2 0 victory. That's why we all love you so much, Adam. That's good stuff. So I, I, I'm going to go for a 1 0 victory, an edgy, edgy 1 0 victory. But, uh, oh, that'll be but, nervous. Yeah, exactly. So see, we'll see what happens. Thanks for listening to the podcast. As I say, you can follow us on facebook.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Total Saints Pod. In the meantime, we look forward to speaking to you in a couple of weeks. Enjoy the international break, not having the stress of listening to Saints, and I'll speak to you on your return and keep marching in. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.